0: You know, they we all joke and, and talk about snowflakes, right? People kind of wimpy. That's a very real problem, and it and it truly does filter into the individuals. We train less as we age. You know, you don't want to hurt yourself. You don't want to. You know, there's just things, and you know, it's almost a complacency and a mediocrity that takes over. And I think that that's the case of death. I think that you have to maintain your capacity. You have to continue to train. If things hurt, you have to find alternative ways. But the worst thing someone could do is to begin to limit their activity.
1: Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast, I'm your host Seem Land, and our guest today is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Lyon is a functional medicine physician specializing in muscle-centric medicine. She leverages evidence-based medicine with emerging cutting-edge science to restore metabolism, balance hormones, and optimize body composition. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Keto. Perfect Keto keto Keto-friendly snacks and supplements are packed with quality ingredients that provide sustained energy to fuel your body and mind. I think Perfect Keto has the highest quality supplements for the ketogenic diet, and I use their ketones for both physical and cognitive performance. They also have amazing MCT powder that you can add to your coffee, as well as collagen powder that's great for the skin. Perfect Keto has a limited time offer for you. If you buy one of their products, you can get one for 40% off, with the code seam forty, so head over to forward slash seam forty, and let's get on with the show. Gabrielle, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I'm really glad that we were able to make this work. I'm looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, like we've been. I think like it's been over a year since we since the first time we tried to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, both of us been busy and busy, and uh, actually saw that you got a child, in the meanwhile, so uh, it's uh, took a while. <laughs> but it's uh, finally yeah, happened. Yeah,
0: yes, I have. A, she's six months old now.
1: Oh wow, that's not that's really awesome. Uh, yeah. But but uh, what, what is uh, muscle-centric medicine? How would you like to define it?
0: Muscle-centric medicine is the concept that muscle is the largest organ in the body. And I want to emphasize the word organ. We typically think about muscle as it relates to locomotion and training and exercise. But actually, muscle is so much more than that. It is an endocrine organ. It's literally the largest organ that secretes proteins. One of those, uh, the group is called myokines that actually travel throughout the body and are anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Muscle is also the largest metabolic organ. It is largely responsible for resting metabolic rate. As you know, that's the amount of calories that we need to just maintain life. It is one of the largest sites for glucose disposal. Everybody talks about carbohydrates and glucose. and A very large site for fatty acid oxidation. So essentially muscle-centric medicine is really targeted on keeping this organ of longevity optimized.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good uh, perspective because uh, a lot of people wouldn't even think of it, especially like doctors. (laughs) They're kind of not even prescribing uh, anything that would uh, promote muscle mass and uh, just that sort of thing uh, related to it, like improved uh, glucose disposal and those things. And it does make sense that it's like a big organ, like, uh,
2: yeah,
1: I, I think a lot of times people say that the skin is your biggest organ, but in, if you look at the mass, the, like the amount of, uh, you know, uh, mass uh, or weight, then muscle is by far much, much larger.
0: Right. And,
1: it and connects- it's really
0: interesting because the society that we live in, everybody is chasing adiposity. Everybody's chasing obesity, the concept of being over fat and if you continue to focus on a problem, the only thing you get is more of the problem. Mm-hmm. But if we switch the focus to being under muscled and really focus on that being the issue and building healthy, strong muscle so that your metabolism is optimized so that your capacity to age well, this is really the solution. And I, and I truly believe that one of the issues with all the illnesses like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, which is type three diabetes of the brain, all of this stems in a defect in the muscle tissue first before you become fat. So it's actually a defect in the ability to utilize substrates, whether it's fat, uh, carbohydrates, or proteins. And the issue is muscle first. The muscle becomes impaired and then you get fat and then obesity becomes an issue and then you get dyslipidemia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, uh, people who do get obese, then they tend to also have like, um, you know, uh, not enough muscle mass. And uh, like I said, you said, f- you, you, first lose the muscle and then you get fat because yeah, the muscle is like burning a lot of calories and yeah. essentially allows you to get away with more things.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's really the key to longevity. And, um, by focusing on adiposity, people are missing the mark and, you know, physicians in particular, we really need to focus on muscle as an organ and optimizing the organ, which is really through dietary protein, resistance exercise, and hormone balancing.
1: Mm-hmm. So, how did you come across this, you know, uh, idea? Wait, yeah. How did you, like, as a physician, it's uh, pretty unconventional.
0: It is, and actually, so I've trained. I've, my professional education is 17 years, so I did 17 years of professional schooling and. I was trained, you know, in the beginning, I trained under Dr. Donald Lehman, and for those of you guys in the muscle protein world, he is the guy, and he is one of the world leading experts in protein metabolism, and I, to this day, 20 years later, he's still a mentor and one of my best friends, and I worked in his lab at University of Illinois, And I started to see the impact of high quality protein and muscle on metabolism, you know, Mm -hmm. doing my training in vitamin, mineral metabolism and nutrition. And that's really what started this whole process many years ago. And then going through medical school and doing two residencies and then a fellowship at a postdoc at Washington University in St. Louis in geriatrics and nutritional sciences really shaped the concept and the capacity to treat individuals for longevity and really beyond.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, I I think the longevity aspect is also one of the most underlooked uh, benefits of muscle mass. Like uh, as you get older, you're already predisposed to losing muscle and that actually makes you more vulnerable to many of the age-related diseases. So yeah, like functional muscle mass throughout your entire life is beneficial, but especially as you get older.
0: Right, and because people don't think about muscle as an organ, they fail to understand that sarcopenia, which is the loss of muscle strength and function, is largely inevitable. So there is changes to the tissue, changes to the fibers that happen as we age. And while everyone can argue about what the right thing to do is in in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, it doesn't really matter because the body is so malleable. But as you become inflamed, and as you begin to age, and listen, aging can start in your 30s. So if you are obese, uh, or you have weight issues, or you have a chronic inflammation, even if it's a low-grade inflammation, this will change the capacity to utilize substrate, and it will change the quality of your muscle tissue. Mm -hmm. And really understanding that it's not just, you know, about looking good on the beach, yeah. But really, yeah. so much more than that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would imagine, and, and uh, if you look at the average person, then the kind of median amount of the muscle mass has been decreasing over the course of like decades probably. <laughs> and uh, what do you think? Th- what, yeah. what, what, you, know, you know, a lot of people may think uh, the reasons for it, but what, what, what do you think it is?
0: I believe that we, you I know, mean, I think it's multifactorial if you eat the way you did in your 20s and it's kind of haphazard then as you age you actually require more protein to stimulate the muscle protein synthesis and really to keep your muscle healthy and if you don't begin to evolve your eating as your age evolves then it's the the tissue doesn't have the same stimulation right so anabolic resistance which is the inability for the tissue to utilize those amino acids is something that happens. So your tissue becomes resistant to anabolism, so mm. to growth, to turnover, and um, you know I think that that is a really important concept to understand. And, and when people also we live in a high stress environment are suffering from low grade inflammation, these things impair muscle tissue, right? High levels of cortisol is a catabolic, um, a catabolic environment for muscle tissue.
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh, I do think it's uh, like uh, a lot of the lifestyle factors uh, are more important in terms of that. Like, is it is it guaranteed to happen, or can you uh, alleviate these uh, negative side effects of aging? I think it's a
0: great question. I think that we don't know the answer to it because we live in a very domesticated society. So I think that it can possibly be prevented but you know at some point we all die right so at some point things change you very rarely see you know you look at a guy like arnold schwarzenegger you know regardless if he was augmenting or not you don't see individuals have the same amount of muscle tissue that they did in their youth and when i see say age i mean you know 70s and beyond maybe 60s or 70s um i think that it can be prevented largely but again this is just anecdotal data i don't know that we've ever seen uh, cohorts of people in which sarcopenia is prevented. But what we do know is that when you remain very physically active in both cardio capacity, right, so something that drives mitochondria, as well as something that is more glycolytic, and you know, keeping those type two muscle fibers very strong and augmented, and and really minimizing the amount of fat that you gain, you know, that intramyocellular fat, mm-hmm. then you can do your part to prevent it i mm-hmm. mean i mean it's possible that you can maintain healthy tissue
1: yeah yeah i think it's so true that you know if you compare let's say a 70 year old who hasn't worked out at all, and they're right. basically they they're basically finished, uh, and they're gonna uh, giving up. Versus someone who is uh, still, you know, doing some yard work even, or you know, lifting something heavy, then uh, they show like this higher robustness, and there's like a massive difference in their body composition, their overall health, and like just vitality. They can just move around very easily, and they're very functional compared to someone who is, you know, very sedentary.
0: And I absolutely, and you said gardening and you know what i think is real and moving around the house i think that changing in part the paradigm of thinking as you know individuals you know they we all joke and and talk about snowflakes right people kind of wimpy that's a very real problem and it and it truly does filter into the individuals we train less as we age you know you don't want to hurt yourself you don't want to you know there's just things and You know, it's almost a complacency and a mediocrity that takes over. And I think that that's the kiss of death. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to maintain your capacity. You have to continue to train. If things hurt, you have to find alternative ways. But the worst thing someone could do is to begin to limit their activity. I mean, listen, my husband, you know, got out of the Navy SEAL teams and is in full-time medical school. And I am, you know, an owner of a business and a new mom. There's a lot of excuses that we both could make about time in terms of being able to skip a workout or not train. And that's not an option because that tissue, as you begin to lose it, becomes much harder to get back. So yeah. it's, you know, in part, you have to change the way that you think about it and you really have to work hard.
1: Yeah, like the body doesn't, the body kind of gets rid of anything that it doesn't need. And if you don't use the muscle, then you're going to lose it.
0: Totally. And, you know, and at a rapid rate.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's very well documented. You know, there's, there's data from Doug Patton Jones's lab and the the trajectory of aging is very, um, it's steep. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go on bed rest or if you have a sporting injury and you stop training for a week, two weeks to a month, I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience where maybe you've, taken a break or maybe hurt yourself or gotten sick and taken a, a few weeks off, you definitely can see a difference. You definitely notice a difference, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So how would you, uh, you know, what's the process of like building muscle and uh, then maintaining it?
0: Well, building muscle re- requires a few things. And number one, it requires a stimulus, a stimulus that is advanced enough to push the body to change. And that can be there. You know, that is so variable. Based on the individual, the more a person is untrained, the faster they respond. I mean, I have patients that haven't really trained and begin to weight train, and they're putting on, you know, five pounds of muscle in a month, if not more. I mean, they really are training hard and eating well. And what I mean by eating well is they actually are in a bit of a a caloric surplus and they're getting enough protein, getting Mm -hmm. at least a pound. You know a a gram per pound body weight and these individuals do incredible you know the more well-trained you are the harder it is to push that genetic capacity you know I, i can tell you for me in six weeks postpartum i lost 10 pounds of body fat and put back on four pounds of muscle and that was in six weeks you know um so the the really the two important aspects you know, the top two, I would say, are resistance training and having a well-designed program. So I, I always refer out to the experts when it comes to program design and then making sure their nutrition is good. And of course, you have the peripheral things like sleep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In terms of the uh, the stimulus. So... Uh... You, you know, there's there's, there's basically no difference where that stimulus is coming from, whether that be from your own body weight or uh, weights or a barbell or, a, or a, like a dumbbell or a kettlebell, whatever it is. Like this stimulus has to be just there that uh, requires your muscle fibers to contract at a higher force and therefore they can adapt to it by growing in size, if, if that's correct.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that the, again, the starting point is what is, really important to understand. So for an individual who has trained, they probably need a heavier load. But then if you look at information and data that comes out of Stu Phillips labs, he'll say that as long as you're going to exertion, like if you're older and can't lift as heavy, but you're going to uh, fatigue the muscle that the light, the weights can be lighter and you'll get a stimulus Mm -hmm. response.
1: Yeah. Like in the, in the example of blood flow, Blood flow restriction training. Then uh, yeah. you can even achieve the same effect with with only like uh, twenty to thirty percent of your maximum, just because the blood flow is restricted and the body kind of perceives that the stimulus is larger than it actually is. So it's kind of an amazing amazing form of exercise for especially people people who uh, can't load that much weight on the uh, bar. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely right.
1: Uh, and uh, what's the role of uh, protein in this?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So you do need these essential amino acids to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, and you do need it for repair. And when you're younger, the body can get away with less because you have these anabolic hormones, testosterone. You know, a lot of testosterone when you're younger. You know, you also have uh, insulin drives growth, and IGF one also drive growth. And you know, hormones change as you age, so. When you begin to have a decline in hormones, is when you really need to bump up your dietary protein because of those amino acids, and in particular the branched chain amino acids. The branched chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine, are really limiting in, um, carb, you know, in like um, plant-based proteins. So. You know, as you age, by getting high quality protein, whether it's beef, chicken, eggs, whey, you're really getting the amino acids. We don't actually have a a need for protein per se. It's the amino acids that we need. Mm -hmm. And making sure that you're getting that in correct doses and so it's really the quality of the protein, the quantity of the protein, and the distribution of the protein over time is really going to give you your biggest bang for your buck.
1: So, what's the uh, threshold for uh, stimulating that, uh, that uh, process? How much protein do I you, love you need? That.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. So, it really should be thought about in a per meal distribution. And what we know is that really the, the range goes from, and as it relates to leucine, about 1.8 grams of leucine to 3 grams of leucine to really optimize the metabolic pathways. So what that translates to, and especially as you're older or more inflamed, and when I say older, you know, we're talking 30s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really <laughs> ancient, getting ready for what they have in America is the AARP. Yeah. Anyway, in the 30s, um, you know, you really wanna look at that leucine threshold, and that will relate that will correlate to between 30 grams of high quality protein. To fifty to really max out the system, we you know the evidence doesn't really support more than fifty grams of protein at a time, you know. And how you would translate that is for every one ounce of protein, there's uh, seven seven grams.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: seven times four would be twenty eight grams of protein. That probably be the minimum that you would need per meal. Would be a four ounce piece of beef or whatever it is. And to optimize, you're looking at around fifty grams. And then you distribute that, say, however your meal distribution is, every five hours.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, in terms of the differences between plants and animals, you kind of alluded to it as well that the animal proteins have the all the right amino acids, and uh, they're also more bio bioav- bioavailable.
0: Absolutely. You know, and people will say you'll hear argument from the kind of the plant community saying, well, but broccoli has all the amino acids that the beef has. And while the, I could say, okay, that might be correct, but it's not in the correct amounts. So it's not just about getting the amino acids. It's about getting the correct amounts. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're gonna put gas in the car and you're gonna fill the tank a quarter of the way, and you're gonna go 600 miles, you're probably not gonna make it. But if you're gonna put gas in the car, you probably wanna fill the tank to go, you know, to get what you need to get done. Yeah. So plants have a very, are, are very low in the branch chain amino acids. And if I told you that it was really based on leucine and you need really about two and a half to three grams of leucine to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, you're gonna have to eat six friggin cups of quinoa. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's the reality. At one time, to get the robust response you need.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite. Uh, you you can probably achieve that threshold, uh, but it's harder in a way, and uh, it's uh, yeah, you would have to kind of compensate for that by increasing the total protein in that meal to reach that threshold. So yeah, basic, and it's calorically basically-
0: devastating. It's calorically yeah. devastating. That's a thousand calories of quinoa. And, and I don't even know how many carbohydrates, 800 carbohydrates, I mean, whatever it is, it's a lot of carbohydrates. So, you know, the, the plant and animal protein argument is they're different. And these are hard, fast, biological values that cannot be changed no matter how much people wish they could change. Mm -hmm. This is the reality of what is required for the human body. And it's not to say that you only can eat plant, can only eat animal based products if you feel very emotional about it, the way around it is picking a lower quality protein and adding in branched chain amino acids. So there are ways around it. But to say that plants and animals have the same quality of protein is totally erroneous. And um, it's just not accurate. And Mm. it's not even opinion. You know, the sky is blue because the sky is blue. Yeah.
2: The the amino
0: acid profile and numbers in beef per, you know, Four ounces is different than the amino acid profile of broccoli for four ounces. That's just the way it goes.
1: Yeah, and uh, also like one of the benefits of that is that you can achieve this uh, this uh, optimal uh, amount of p- protein synthesis from fewer calories. Like you said, that you know the 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 amount of calories you would have to consume by only eating plants would have to be much higher. And uh, therefore you would also, you know, predispose yourself to weight gain because of consuming too many calories and uh, versus the animal proteins, you can reach the optimal amount of protein synthesis from less protein and uh, less calories as well as a result.
0: Yeah. And and you had mentioned before bioavailability. You're also talking about bioavailable zinc, selenium, B12. I mean, there's so many other benefits to having a high quality protein eggs for choline and brain function, you know, um, lutein for eyes. So there's, there's so many other benefits, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's highly bioavailable.
1: Yeah. I would, I would think like probably beef and eggs would be the only protein you would ever need. (laughs) They're going to give us essentially all the amino acids that you need and plus the other nutrients.
0: Right. And then there's organ meats that have a ton of vitamin A, uh, D K, you know, um, that are all really valuable. I mean, the truth is, I don't know how much vitamin K is in liver, but I can tell you there's a ton of vitamin A and uh, you know other nutrients, iron, copper.
1: Yeah. Is there like a difference between, uh, let's say fish uh, versus eggs or beef in terms of the uh, muscle protein synthesis?
0: Yes. So fish have about five grams of protein per one ounce. So you would need a bit more
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, eggs, a whole egg has about uh, half a gram of leucine. So you'd have to calculate that out appropriately and that would be a whole egg.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: You know, okay. and it's very interesting because there's so much talk about protein right now. It couldn't be at a more important time. So I'm actually glad that we didn't have the opportunity to do this podcast uh, previously because, your viewers are likely confused because they're getting so much misinformation about how protein is killing the planet and we need to eat less beef because somehow cattle miraculously is the you know, the problem for everything and mm-hmm. all the sins of global warming come from cattle. None of that's true. So that is complete propaganda and it really confuses the story. The underlying issue is that plant and animal protein are different. Animals are not killing the planet. I, you know, I can tell you for the U.S. out of the you know out of all the U.S., nine percent of greenhouse gas, and we only contribute you know what is it maybe fifteen percent you know globally. It's really based on population. You know, out of all the agriculture, we would for greenhouse gas. You know, we're contributing maybe nine percent of that nine percent nine percent of a fifteen percent by the way, and of that nine percent, you're looking at maybe three and a half come from dairy and cattle and you know if you were to kind of calculate that out you still have to get protein from somewhere so (laughs) the best that we could ever do right would to you know do a meatless monday is you know you're talking we would affect like 0.2 percent yeah you know so it's it's just a lot of propaganda and it's very disturbing um it's an anti-animal narrative Right that continues to be confusing for people,
1: yeah, and uh like if 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 we were to adopt like a very let's say lower protein society, then the consequences of that would be quite devastating and uh essentially like, and it actually would uh, just where where like we would spend more energy and resources on producing food that isn't uh helping us to maintain muscle mass and it's not helping us to be more metabolically healthy and as such. So it's, it's just, you know, even, yeah, you can't, you, you can probably maybe come to the conclusion that it's cheaper to grow uh, soybeans or it's cheaper to grow, I don't know, some uh, broccoli or something, then you can't really survive for the rest of your life eating only that kind of food. And uh, like, yeah, Totally. meat, you know, and meat, uh, meat yeah. is more expensive, but it's more essential as well.
0: It is. And, you know, you've been eating it for two and a half million years, <laughs> you yeah. know? it's like this is what we've been doing and um you know really when it comes to to greenhouse gas and and climate change you know you're not looking at food industry what you're really looking at is fossil fuel use
2: yeah
0: but people aren't talking about that or they're not talking about eating the fact that they're eating avocados from mexico when they live in minnesota (laughs) yeah so i mean they're the, the the confusion is is uh deep and wrong and propaganda driven and if you want to age well you have to get optimal protein in your diet if you want to protect yourself against obesity diabetes heart disease hypertension alzheimer's disease you have to make sure your metabolism is in check and the driver of metabolism is muscle period
1: yep <laughs> couldn't agree with more uh, mm-hmm. and uh like, uh, what about this idea that uh, protein is going to give you cancer by stimulating mTOR and such?
0: Right. I love that question. So let's talk about mTOR. mTOR has been it is a is mechanistic target of rapamycin, and it is a pathway. It's a nutrient sensor. It's, a, it's a, a complex. It's a nutrient sensor. And what it does is it promotes growth. It promotes growth in all tissues. So there's mTOR... Uh, in all tissues, including muscle, brain, heart, liver, kidney. And they are sensitive to different stimuli. mTOR, the story of mTOR and cancer is a false one. mTOR, it's like saying that exercise is bad because actually exercise stimulates mTOR. And no one would ever say that that is bad. Where and when we take a step back and we just look at and we think about cancer, cancer first of all, there's many different types, right? So there's colon, ovarian, endometrian, lung cancer, right? So there's, there's all different kinds of cancer. Cancer, the disease of the genome. A risk factor for cancer is having an, um, an oncogenic environment. In obesity. Obesity is a risk factor for cancer. Okay. So now we're going to take that. So that, that's just a little background. Now mTOR as a growth promoter, as it relates to cancer, is a growth promoter. So if you have cancer or you're obese because insulin and carbo- excess carbohydrates drive mTOR Mm-hmm. in the liver, in the pancreas, in all other tissues. However, muscle is exquisitely sensitive to protein as it relates to driving mTOR. So mTOR is essential for maintaining growth of muscle. So mTOR in and of itself is not an initiation, initiation factor for cancer, period. Yeah. But what is oncogenic is obesity and insulin, which stimulate mTOR at a much higher level than mTOR being stimulated by protein in the muscle. So Mm -hmm. the argument is just totally doesn't make any sense. Period.
1: Yeah, exercise (laughs) is bad. Yeah, it's it's a matter of uh, where do you stimulate mTOR. So if you are if the if the mTOR is stimulating like cancer cells uh, because of you don't have like for example. If you don't have the stimulus for building muscle by not exercising, then the mTOR stimulation is just going to make everything grow, uh, including cancer cells. But if you're, uh, you're, uh, you're exercising, you're stimulating muscle protein synthesis from the exercise, then that mTOR stimulation is actually going to make you build muscle instead of growing cancer. So yeah, it's a, like a very context-dependent well, what, situation. MTOR is not
0: a bad thing. Yeah. So, but mTOR is not a bad thing inherently in and of itself. mTOR is not bad. Yeah. Working out is not bad. Building muscle is not bad. Yeah, mTOR is stimulated now if you want to talk about chronic low-level stimulation of mTOR do you know what does that yeah carbohydrates excess carbohydrates and excess calories
2: yeah
0: that is a much more robust stimulator of mTOR than having a protein meal so the whole concept is just incorrect
2: (laughs) yeah and it comes
0: from an anti-animal narrative And actually, there's no data to support that protein being driven by mTOR that's ever been isolated in normal humans has ever shown cancer. You know, there's that one study by uh, Walter Longo, who's the editor of Cell, and they published, you know, some paper in Ad Libitum-fed rats, which is obese model rats, that, um, you know... However, they said it, you know, I don't remember the the title of the paper that protein, maybe it was, you know, mTOR and, and protein and cancer, but these rats were fed, uh, excess carbohydrates. Yeah.
2: It's
0: not a, this is not mTOR is not a protein issue. MTOR is a good thing. Stimulating muscle is a good thing. We know that, but we know that excess calories and excess carbohydrates as it relates to chronic stimulation of mTOR is a problem.
1: Yeah. And it's also, also
0: related
1: a- to obesity, it's yeah. two
0: totally yeah. separate things.
1: Yeah, in in the research, it's also like uh, the animals are fed like this junk food diet that combines the oh, carbs yeah. and fats <laughs> together, and uh, no wonder they get obese and they get cancer. So it's a uh, very misleading a lot.
0: It is misleading, and you know, so they so back to this paper, um, they all the top leading scientists, including Donald Lehman, uh, wrote, they analyzed the data and it was incorrect. So they actually got together and wrote a letter to the editor and say, we, we've evaluated this data from professional outside sources and it's incorrect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in that article in that um, letter to the editor was never published because he's on, you know, the editorial board.
1: Mm-hmm. So think- the,
0: the public doesn't even have a chance. There's, right. They don't even have a chance to get the truth of the story.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the eating frequency as well. So if you are eating from uh, from sunrise to sun dawn, like the average American does, then yeah, you have mTOR activated all the time. And just because you're eating this high carb, uh, high calorie diet, then that just and that spikes insulin, and that just keeps the mTOR higher and turned on all the time. So you would benefit from periods where mTOR is shut off, like for instance when you're fasting, uh, but you don't want to have it all the time turned on, so that's why the, prob- the right. problem comes as well. Because even if you were to eat, like let's say, a big, a big uh, meal with protein, then uh, it's not going to, it's not going to increasingly keep on raising mTOR in a linear fashion, and you're going to get more cancer. <laughs> it, it, there's a threshold, right. and uh, it doesn't go on beyond uh, the the rate of muscle protein synthesis that you get from uh, per meal. You only exceed the threshold if you, you know, incorporate more. Uh, feeding opportunities and if you keep on eating uh, throughout the day. Right. And that's a problem.
0: And people snack on carbohydrates. And if you're vegan or vegetarian, typically you're snacking on higher carbohydrate meals. And that's a much more potent stimulus of mTOR in other tissues. And that's a problem because, you know, you're not even going to stimulate mTOR until you get the right amount of protein and getting the right amount of protein is a good thing because muscle is our organ of longevity. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, you're probably more of a proponent of the low carb keto way of uh, dieting.
0: Um, no, I actually am more into optimal protein. So I think you're... that that's what is, you know, I don't do ke- a ketogenic diet. I don't necessarily recommend it. I'm sure it has benefit. It's just not what I utilize in, in my own personal clinic.
1: So, uh, adjust the carbs based on like, um, the individual, but, uh, focus on the protein.
0: Yes. You have to earn your carbohydrates, you know, and for every hundred grams of protein that you eat through gluconeogenesis, you'll generate 60 grams of carbohydrates.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, what do you think about uh, intermittent fasting and uh, muscle, bu- muscle building?
0: I think that that, I think intermittent fasting can be great for people. You know, it might not be an optimal strategy for building muscle, but you know, if you're getting enough protein in a 24 hour period and you're training hard enough, You can certainly build muscle that way Mm -hmm. i mean we do know that there's that um you know fasting is definitely a catabolic state but you know everything can be done
1: yeah i think yeah like depends on the goal of the individual if they want to you know go on a bodybuilding stage and uh, pack on a ton of muscle then obviously eating uh, like five times a day or such is uh, definitely more beneficial than uh, two times or one time a day because you're Stimulating that muscle protein synthesis uh, more frequently, and you're keeping it uh, active. Right. But I'm cu- I'm curious to also know uh, your thoughts on uh, that. Uh, there are some studies show that uh, fasting or intermittent fasting can actually protect against some aspects of sarcopenia uh, by, for example, for example, by raising growth hormone, as well as autophagy and increasing energy uh, metabolism. So the kind of body gets this hormetic stress that uh, right. kind of increases its resiliency against catabolism. So if you are experiencing uh, like milder forms of autophagy on a regular basis, then the body kind of becomes tougher against that thing uh, in the future. And it kind of preserves more muscle in the, in the in the coming uh, scenario where you would go catabolic.
0: I think it's risky. I would never tell a patient, an older patient to fast. I think that there's other ways to create those stressors, whether it's through heat shock proteins or, you know, cold and heat exposure. I think there's other ways to do it, but I, I think it's too risky.
2: Mm-hmm. I think
0: keeping that muscle tissue optimized in the, the, the setting of an aging individual, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be having them fast. I think, I think it's just too risky. I've seen too much. You know, I've been at the bedside of dying individuals. The majority of people that break hip are never going to walk again, never going to return to their normal life, not going to make it out. The rest of their life, the rest of their family from a fall is changes the life of everybody. So, you know, because I've seen it clinically way too many times, too many times to count, that I, I just think that the recommendation of doing that in an aging population is too risky.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I agree that older people probably shouldn't fast for like any longer than like 20 hours or such. Because uh, they, they do, although they moved, would uh, get some increased autofagy from that and the other benefits, they, it would kind of dig them into this hole where they can't really get out of. <laughs> like uh, when you're young, you can basically get away with anything. And uh, you, you, you can also reverse some of the potential muscle loss that you would experience from a, like a longer fast. But if, if you're like an older person, then you just don't have the the resources to uh, get back and track that easily. So it's cannot, it's not worth it in the sense that you're going to cost to benefit ratio. I
0: totally agree with that. You know, and then what are the other ways to stimulate uh, autophagy? You know, I mean, there's other yeah. ways to yeah. do those things. It doesn't have to be through uh, fasting.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like all the, all the things that you mentioned, like exercise and saunas, they all promote yeah. autophagy. So yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, it, it can be somewhat, um, kind of misleading uh that some people say that you just have to fast <laughs> and uh, that's the only way to activate autology. but uh, there, are many, there are many ways like even coffee coffee does it so
0: <laughs> so there you go that sounds like a much better strategy <laughs>
1: uh but uh and also like pregnant women and uh, during childbirth it's probably not the best idea so you just gave right. uh, or birth. if you
0: want to maintain fertility and you yeah. want to get pregnant i mean fasting is a stressor
1: right so uh you just gave birth as well. So how did your pregnancy process go?
0: <laughs> so the truth is my husband was still active duty. So I was pregnant uh, majority of the time by myself for the first eight months. And I had a hyperemesis. So that means I was throwing up the whole time. I threw up for 10 months. Um, I was very sick, but I still uh, trained. I actually still trained. I would, throw up and go do a set and throw up and go do a set. You know, I think that when you know that you're doing something of value and that there's an end in sight, it makes everything worth it. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not just sick because you're sick. You're sick for a reason, you know, like you're growing a human. It's pretty important.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's quite uh... Let's say uncommon for uh, a pregnant woman to co- continue exercising. <laughs> a lot of them, uh-huh. uh, a lot of them, don't do it, and that's why I, I think part of the reason you may see like a lot of women uh, kind of start gaining weight after after they give birth and they experience this, let's say weightless plateaus and uh, being uh, being kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, I think that really, I think that pregnancy and weight gain is a real thing, and I think that you know obviously the body changes in ways that. You, you don't anticipate, although pregnancy is thought to be predictable in terms of uh, pregnancy waking, it's very different for everybody. And then your center of gravity changes and your ability to train through things also change. Um, and then post baby, you are incredibly sleep deprived. And then if you're breastfeeding, you have change in hormones, like you, for example, you have an increase in prolactin, which decreases the ability to utilize fats, you know, the, the body wants to continue to maintain weight. So there are things that happen that are um, interesting and, and perhaps unanticipated.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you change your diet in any way during this time?
0: I did. I The majority I ate were carbs and fat. Every time I ate protein, I would throw up, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, it wasn't uh, by choice, uh, but it was because I was so ill. Hmm. My husband would love for me to be pregnant again so that he can eat um, carbohydrates.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So what do you eat now then?
0: Mostly uh, my diet is very um, animal product heavy. So for example, this morning I fast in the morning. This morning we had chicken wings. Mm -hmm. And uh, the next meal, that's probably what we'll eat through the day. And then maybe we'll have a steak. Possible we might throw in some avocado. um, But, you know, it's winter, so We'll definitely be lighter on the veggies. We try to eat what's in season and and uh, local.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds like a good diet. <laughs> what,
0: what did you have? Tell me about what you had.
1: Uh, so far, I haven't had anything yet. Uh, but uh, afterwards, on a regular basis, I eat. I eat like yeah, also like a lot of uh, animal pro- products, uh, eggs. We have our own chicken, so we get some good quality eggs, <laughs> and uh, then some. Uh, some wild game and uh, meat and pl- a little bit of fish plus some vegetables and tubers and uh, also like berries and these uh, darker pigments, uh, bilberries and blue- blueberries that we have locally here. But yeah, I, I do look more for like a low carb keto way of eating, uh, but I also incorporate uh, ca- carb days, so to say, like carb briefy days where I would uh, have some potatoes and tubers and uh, fruit, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So... So it sounds pretty uh, similar.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, what about your clients and patients? You do take them and uh, what would be like their most common uh, problems that they come across?
0: In terms of why they come to me or in terms of what uh, the challenges are for eating a different way?
1: Uh, yeah, like why do, why do they come to you and uh, what kind of uh, problems they want to fix?
0: Yeah, so a lot of them come to me with weight issues and I do a ton of weight loss, really body composition optimization. I do a ton of that. Um, because I'll find creative ways. Sometimes it's just not what you're eating. Sometimes it's hormones. Sometimes we need to add medications or peptides or off label substances to really help move the needle. Um, so I do a ton of weight loss. I do a ton of optimization. You know, my husband, uh, is a Navy SEAL. I see a lot of military uh, executives, individuals that are really mavericks and want the best care and really want to be the best version of themselves. And whether that means preventing Alzheimer's, preventing cardiovascular disease, uh, getting their energy back, maybe their digestion isn't good. You know, really, I the average number of physicians my patients see before they get to me is between nine and fourteen. Mm. They consider me the last stop doc.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it should be the first step. Like, uh, start fixing, <laughs> start, start the fixing. Smart ones. Yeah,
0: the smart ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah yeah a lot of these uh, issues can be fixed by uh, fixing the fundamentals, like getting the diet right, sleeping well, doing some exercise, getting some sunlight, social connection, and those things. Like, <laughs> the fundamentals are actually the most uh, powerful uh, interventions
0: definitely uh definitely very helpful um but you know you got to make sure that you know that the treatment has to match the severity of the illness so if someone's been overweight and struggling with their weight for 20 years i'm not just going to say here's your high protein diet go work out i'm going to say okay this is what we're going to do here's the structure of the plan here is the either supplements or medications we're going to utilize and we really got to move the needle no more time to wait
1: yeah Do, do you have like any plans for uh You know uh spreading this message further by i don't know like writing a book or something (laughs) because uh i think uh,
0: i'm actually in the process of writing a book now yeah yeah
1: what's it gonna be called
0: uh we don't know The i mean it'll probably be you know lion the lion protocol something like that
1: okay we'll see but
0: i'll keep you posted and i'll come back on and we'll talk about it
1: of course we'd be happy to do that uh so yeah let's we'll be it's about time we start wrapping this up as well. So uh, before I ask my th- last question, where can people learn more about you and your work?
0: Yes, certainly. So they can find me on Instagram. I'm very active. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, uh, L Y O N. And, um, uh, my website, drgabriellelyon.com, Facebook, not super active. And that spelled, that's the doctor spelled out there. And then Twitter.
2: Mm hmm. Awesome. And I
0: have a weekly newsletter they can sign up for. And I include um, books I'm reading, new nutrition strategies, papers, all kinds of things.
1: Sounds good. We're going to put all this in the uh, show notes. And my um, last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or habit you wish you adopted sooner?
0: <sighs> my one habit, I, I would stop worrying, you know. I think that if if that would be the one habit, I think, you know, my husband is really w- solid and just, you know, very mentally tough. I think that in our 20s, we spend a lot of time worrying and I would probably have mitigated that habit early.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, these uh, worrying itself. You can't really do anything about it. Or, you know, even if there are some you know, like unexpected events that are going to happen. There's not, there's not much you can do about these things. <laughs> and the well, worrying I, And I
0: believe, I believe it's just a distraction technique. Yeah. So I think it's, it's an, a maladaptive distraction.
1: Procrastination. That's,
0: yeah. It's just a maladaptive distraction.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good advice. And uh, yeah, happy to have you on the podcast and uh, I'll uh, yeah, would like to do it another time in the future.
0: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Alright, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get the exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.